Hi guys, welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I am Jennifer and this is episode 57. Update. So there's not a whole lot going on this week. I did send an email to um, formally turn down the position that I interviewed for last week. I always get a little nervous about turning down opportunities like Somehow the universe will see me as ungrateful and not send me another one. But he was actually very nice. He responded to my email. He, you know, said how nice it was to meet me, assured me that I will find something and that wherever I land, they'll be lucky to have me. So I thought that was really nice of him because he didn't need to say any of that. But I always have this feeling, you know, I know that I did the right thing. You know, I'm I'm 98% sure <laughs> that I did the right thing, but there's always that 2% that kind of makes me feel like I might be burning a bridge. Mm. I I don't know. I, I hope that that's not the case, but I, I am, like I said, 98% confident that I, I made the right choice for me at this time. So I've also been spending most of my week cleaning like a maniac. I'm not sure in preparation of what, I mean, (laughs) fall, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I steam cleaned my rug and my couch. I thoroughly cleaned my kitchen and the patio. Patio looks great, by the way. Um, now that it is cooling off enough to be back on the patio again. And I still have my bedroom to go and, of course, my closet, which I am putting off because <laughs> I just don't feel like dealing with the closet yet. But I will. But I, I, I know that, you know, down here we don't get much of a fall, you know. But I do love fall because I grew up in western New York and fall is the best time of the year up there. So, you know, the calendar says September, even if the uh, thermometer doesn't. So in my heart, it's fall. And I've just been kind of getting the house ready. And, and I realized that, you know, a lot of the decorations around the house were obviously summer decorations. So good excuse to go shopping. And that's exactly what I did. I went shopping to get some decorations for my house. I may have gone a little bit overboard, but once the cleaning is done and my home is decorated, it will be all worth it. I do still have to get a few things for the patio, but so far so good. I'm getting there. I did stupidly buy another piece of furniture that I will need to put together. Honestly, I thought my days of putting together furniture were over. But I did still need one piece. So I have my couch is a sectional. So obviously there's one part of the couch that doesn't sit against the wall, but it has a high back on it and it needs something next to it that's taller than an end table because of that high back. You know, you don't want to be sitting on the couch and having to reach over the back and down to get, you know, whatever's on the table. So I have been for almost a year now, I have been looking for something to put against the couch there. And it has to be tall enough 
you know. But every time I see something like a console table that would actually work perfectly, it's always more money than I want to spend because basically it's just going to be like holding my drink whenever I'm sitting on the couch. But when I was out shopping the other day, I found the perfect table and it was only 40 bucks. So, you know, I, I immediately bought it and then, of course, was like, oh, God, <laughs> I'm going to have to put it together. I used to love putting together furniture, but man, I have put together so much furniture in the last two years that I feel like I've had my fill. So I bought it. It's currently still sitting in its box. So if anyone would like to volunteer to come down here and put it together for me, that would be great. You would get free room and board for as long as you stayed, all the food you can eat, and, you know, you get the pleasure of my company and my sparkling personality and my, you know, heartfelt gratitude. <laughs> TV podcast recommendations. The podcast I'm listening to this week is called Strawberry Spring. It's based on a short story by Stephen King. The story starts with a brutal murder on a college campus, which reawakens memories of a reporter of his time in college and the first time he heard the name of the serial killer known as Springheel Jack. So basically, eight years earlier, there was a serial killer that went by the name of Springheel Jack, and he was on a spree. They never found him, but now, eight years later, another killing happens, and it's in the same style as the serial killer. I just started it. I'm only two episodes in. So far, so good. But I am tentatively recommending this at this point because you guys know Stephen King has let me down in the past. He has this tendency to take his reader or listener in this case on this crazy soaring ride and you buy in completely you are there with him on this crazy ride and then he doesn't stick the landing this is why i don't like stephen king because usually his endings suck so we'll see i i will continue to listen if the same thing happens and he lets me down again i'll let you know so i i completely understand if you want to hold off listening until you get my my full review but like i said two episodes in so far so good I, i'm liking it i'll say tentatively tv recommendation this week i watched lula rich on prime it's a four-part docuseries that tells the story of lula Rowe which was accused of running a pyramid scheme in its recruitment of retailers and their selling their clothes. So I was aware that there was a business that sold leg leggings in this like Amway type situation, but I had no idea how big this operation was. And in fact, that I, I only knew about the leggings. I didn't know that there was like this entire line of clothings, but what I knew about the leggings wasn't good. I remember hearing something about, you know, like expensive leggings at with really poor quality. So like $25 for a pair of leggings with weird patterns that rip apart after, you know, like a couple of wears or washes. No, thank you. I, I'll stick to my walmart 
leggings. The founders of the company, Deanne and Mark Stidham, they deny, obviously, that this is a pyramid scheme. And the reason why they say it's not a pyramid scheme is because they are actually selling a product. So the couple built a company which promised typically stay-at-home moms full-time income with part-time work, just you know, selling leggings on the side and other clothing in their spare time. But of course, the real money came from these moms who were recruiting others to sell because that's what their bonuses were based on, which is kind of the definition of a pyramid scheme. The docuseries is a crazy ride with sellers getting rich quickly only to get stuck with thousands of dollars of damaged or defective product. And you guys know I love a good scam story, and I really liked this one too. The owners of this company are cuckoo crazy puffs. Uh, I don't even know which one of them is crazy. It's kind of like they are, take turns seeing if they can out-crazy each other. All right, guys, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So this week... I'd been thinking about a conversation I had recently with a friend. We were talking about what we would do if we knew we only had five years to live. Conversation wasn't as morbid as it sounds. It was more about motivating each other to focus on what matters and how we would want to spend our time if we had a real understanding of just how limited our time is. Is there something you see yourself doing? Some specific scenario of how you want to spend your remaining years on earth? And if so, what plans do you have to make? What needs to be in place in order to make that dream scenario into a reality? The conversation reminded me of an article that I I had read a while back called The Planning Fallacy. In case you've never heard of it, The planning fallacy is basically when you are predicting how much time you will need to complete a task or accomplish a goal, and you underestimate the amount of time it will take. And it doesn't even matter if you've already done something similar in the past. It can still happen. For example, if you know that in the past it has taken two to three hours to put a piece of furniture together, you might still go into the task thinking you could knock it out in an hour. The weird part of this phenomenon is that it seems to only affect predictions of your own time. When outside observers predict task completion times, they tend to overestimate the time needed. The planning fallacy was first proposed in 1979 by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. But in 2003, the definition was expanded to not just time, but to also include the underestimation of costs and risks of future actions. In one example of the planning fallacy, a study was performed in 1994 of 37 psychology students who were asked to estimate how long it would take for them to complete their senior thesis. The average estimate was 33.9 days. They were also asked to estimate how long it would take if everything went as well as possible. That average, 27.4 days. And to estimate 
if everything went as poorly as possible. That average, 48.6 days. The average actual completion time was 55.5 days, with only about 30% of the students completing their thesis in the amount of time that they predicted. Another example was a study of Canadian taxpayers published in 1997. In this study, it was found that they mailed their tax forms about a week later than they predicted. They had no misconceptions about their past record of getting forms mailed in, but expected that they would get it done more quickly this time. This illustrates a defining feature in the planning fallacy, that people recognize that their past predictions have been over-optimistic while insisting that their current predictions are realistic. There have been several proposed reasons as to why the planning fallacy occurs. Kamen and Tversky originally thought that planners focused on the most optimistic scenario for the task rather than their past experience of how much time the similar tasks required. Another theory suggests that a self-serving bias in how people interpret their past performance by taking credit for tasks that went well, but blaming delays on outside influences, people can discount past evidence of how long a task should take. One experiment found that people made their predictions anonymously. They do not show the optimistic bias. This suggests that when people make optimistic estimates, they're doing so to create a favorable impression with others. You know, like when you tell your boss that Despite the mountain of work you have waiting for you at your desk, of course you'll have the report to them by the end of the day. Another explanation is that people do not correctly recall the amount of time that similar tasks in the past have taken. And still yet another theory is just as simple as wishful thinking. It seems counterproductive to underestimate the time something will take to complete. Why would anyone do this? We're just making things harder on ourselves. When trying to plan for how long something will take to complete, your natural inclination is to plan out the specific steps. The problem with that is that events don't usually unfold exactly as planned. Given the unknown number of possible obstacles, it's likely that you will be faced with unexpected problems, delays, and interruptions. When people focus narrowly on a plan for successful task completion, they don't tend to also factor in anything that could delay their progress, like how long it took them in the past to complete something similar or even any disruptions or bumps in the road they may come across. So how does the planning fallacy affect our plans for the future? Well, most of the time, it's not that big of a deal. If you tell your boss you'll have that report to them by the end of the day, but 3 o'clock is approaching quickly and you know you nev you're never going to make that deadline. If you have a great boss like I do, you can probably just revise that timeline with very little issue. But what if something bigger is on the line? Like the plans for how you want to spend your remaining time on Earth. We put things off, delay, Tell ourselves that someday we'll get there. But time is a funny thing. I heard someone say recently that if all clocks were correct, when you looked at them, they would just say, now. Just like Jack Cornfield says, the trouble is, you always think you have more time.
Time is relative. Ask any kid still in school, and they'll tell you the days seem to last forever. But ask that same question to a middle-aged person, and they'll say, the days go by so fast they can hardly keep track of them anymore. When we talk about time, we talk about having an abundance of it. We say things like, there's still plenty of time for this or that or the other. We think we have plenty of time in life when we actually don't have much at all. In fact, time is one of those resources that is so scarce and so finite that we should be viewing it as a precious commodity. It can't be bought or sold or saved or traded. We only get time once. And when it's gone, it's gone forever. So here's the question. How much time do we really have? Since we can all agree that time seems to be going by faster as we get older, why do we live our lives like we have a never-ending supply of it? Putting off so many things for some day. When we were kids, we would hear all the adults in our lives tell us things like, enjoy it while it lasts. They'd tell us to not want to grow up so quickly. There's a reason they say youth is wasted on the young. The fact of the matter is, we all have less time than we think. So why not embrace the amount of time we have left in this world and do something? Are you living the life you always dreamed you'd have? What would it take to get you closer to the dreams you've held onto for so long? As adults, we spend most of our waking hours working. What's left is spent with our families, our to-do lists, and hopefully fitting in a little time to socialize with friends. And it may feel like there just isn't enough time in the day to get everything done. But the truth is, time pressure is an illusion that we largely place on ourselves. From 1965 to 2003, the average American work week actually declined by three hours, while leisure time increased. And in many places in the developed world, the work week has gotten even shorter since then. In one study of more than 7,000 working Australians, they estimated how much time is necessary for basic living. Things like hours of paid work, housework, and even personal care, and compared it to how much free time people had in their actual schedules. Turns out, there was a big discrepancy. Researchers found that the ones who felt the most overworked, feeling they had the least amount of time free, largely did that to themselves. I think we're all a bit guilty of this. Telling ourselves that if this or that doesn't get done, something awful will happen. And yes, we all have certain things in our lives that we can't put off. But making sure the dishwasher gets emptied before you go to bed isn't one of them. In another study, this one done on 800 Ohio workers, researchers found that when women did more than 10 hours of housework a week, they felt more pressed for time and in turn more depressed. But when men did the same amount of housework, they didn't. A similar pattern appeared for volunteering. Men who volunteered were less depressed, but women got time pressed. They got stressed 
and they didn't experience the same benefit. The explanation that the researchers came up with, and one that will not surprise any woman who may be listening, was that men tend to do more enjoyable housework and volunteering. They cut the grass and coach soccer teams. They get into a flow and feel a sense of accomplishment. While women, on the other hand, are often occupied with small repetitive daily chores and service work. Less cheering, high-fiving, and more trying not to fall asleep during PTA meetings. Much of our issue with feeling like we don't have enough time is that we think of things we get to do as things we have to do. Some weeks are harder than others to come up with topics to talk about on this podcast. And it can start to feel like another chore when I think about the work I have to do in order to get something out each week. But I have to remind myself that this is not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. And I am incredibly grateful for the opportunity to do it. In an article written by Michael Hyatt, he talked about the language of duty versus the language of privilege. And in it, he talked about a phone call he had with a friend. He was complaining about having to go out of town for a speaking engagement. After he hung up, he realized what a great opportunity it was for him, and it changed his entire attitude about it. Hyatt said, Too often, we say it with a sigh, like it's a sentence, or like we're a victim. It can easily become pessimistic, and nothing will kill your, creati your creativity, your job performance, or your relationships like ongoing negativity. I don't have to record a podcast. It makes no real difference in the grand scheme of the universe. Some people might be a little disappointed, but ultimately, it's my choice. It was my choice to start, and it's my privilege to continue for as long as I feel I have something to say. How often do we do this in other areas of our lives? We allow things we really love to do to become burdens. Things we choose to do, get to do, and had serious passion for, become little more than habits that we dutifully obey. Or worse, we just let them fizzle out entirely. Businesses, maybe the novel you had began to write, hobbies, relationships, projects that we were excited about getting started, get tossed aside because there just doesn't seem to be enough time. Today, after I finished my chores, I watched a musical on Apple TV called Come From Away. It's the true story of 38 plans that were ordered to land unexpectedly in a small town in Gander, Newfoundland, due to the attacks on the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. When the planes landed, they doubled the population of Gander, and the people of Gander immediately opened their homes, their wallets, and gave their time to thousands of stranded passengers. It's a great story, and it's a good reminder. And I also happen to be recording this on the 20th anniversary of those attacks. Every one of the people we lost on that day had plans plans for later that day, plans for someday. 
And on this terrible anniversary, all I can think to do to honor them is to promise to do less planning and more doing. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 57. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, My So-Called Midlife Podcast, and like the Facebook page, My So-Called Midlife Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JennyJoy316. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen. If you have questions or topic suggestions, you can email me at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye.